Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackend and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we go back to one of our favorite topics, which is complexity and how you manage complexity. What are its sources? What are some design rules? How do you think about the systems that you're building or maintaining in ways that make them handle complexity gracefully? And the simple answer for this discussion is you have people who are good at thinking about complex systems. And it turns out that part of that is experience in looking about complex systems and seeing how they operate and being ready to deal with that type of thing, like training pilots. How we get to that insight is really significant and it impacts how you build teams and how you build systems and how you defend yourself and your organization from complexity or more accurately, how you build systems that defend themselves uh, that are naturally complex, but have the right defense mechanisms to make them more stable over the long term. I know you will get a lot out of this uh, podcast. It has a tremendous number of actionable insights. Enjoy it. How do you design around complexity? Um, and some of some of the work I've gotten to, like we used to do, like going back a year now, was um, very focused on this, you know, idea of like eliminating complexity or taming complexity. And some of the stuff I've seen is like, well, complexity is okay. It's a matter of creating defensible systems, not simple systems. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that you sort of go into is, all right, if we're going to build a defensible, if we're going to acknowledge complexity and then build defensible systems instead of simple systems, then it's sort of worth thinking through what, what makes something defensible. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was, so the goal, the goal for today was to sit back and be like, all right, you know, how are we going to build a system that, that you can scale, even though it's complex? Right. Um, and I've got some, I've got some starting points if, if you want that as a, as a seed. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely other conversations and, and what we've, what we've been talking about. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, a very interesting conversation. Um, I actually just talked about this, this conversation, uh, a, a little while ago this morning in terms of the, the complexity with platforms like Kubernetes, um, and, and it becomes a, a very interesting scenario. I think when you you have to take out just the the pure technology facets of it i mean you look at something like a, a kubernetes and it's a a very great platform scales very well um some of the challenge oftentimes is, is does it scale down well enough but then you get into as i mentioned taking out the the pure technology aspect it's not feasible from a a human standpoint to let's say there's uh, quote unquote, like five different flavors of a Kubernetes-like platform where it's, okay, if you're in very small environments, here's Kubernetes light, or you're in medium environment, here's Kubernetes medium. And you 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 almost carve out the, the, the most scalable aspects of Kubernetes into to lighter pared down versions to remove the complexity. Uh, and so ultimately we're left with a, I don't want to say a handful of options because obviously there's a, a number of options from a, an open source perspective as well as vendors, but oftentimes you're left with a small handful of options and you have to either accept the thing that might be very limited, that doesn't scale well, or the thing that's incredibly complex mm -hmm. that scales extremely well as the starting point for what we can do from a, a platform or solution standpoint. Well, I mean, what, what you're doing in that, in that description to me is you're removing apparent complexity, right? You're not, the ideal solution is to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use Kubernetes because I know it scales, it has complexity that is defensible um, as I scale, but my initial, um, engagement with it should have, you know, restrictions or opinions that, that reduce the, the systematic, right. Reduce my, and this is actually, I think where, where I would go back to some design rules, but you're, you're saying, all right, 
Kubernetes is complex. It's needfully complex. I've been starting to add that phrase quite a bit here, right? It's it's needfully complex. It's not over-designed. Let's, let's start from that. Kubernetes is not over-designed. Well, and that, and that's whether that's, you agree or not. Yeah, and that's going back to the the understanding of, of what it was designed initially around or from as its origin, and then understanding the the possibility of it scaling down in essence in this case. It, well, but so here's my question: Is it really scaling down Kubernetes, or is it um, removing optionality? I would say it's scaling which is, down, which is which is different. I think it's scaling down because when you when you initially design it, you're designing based upon a certain scenario. Similarly, I mean, if you take quote unquote traditional infrastructure aspects of whether it's things like certain levels of availability, if the required levels of availability is let's say five nines, I'm designing based upon that very much in mind, as opposed to let's say if it's a best effort situation. It's a completely different design center oftentimes. But sure, the, those can be incredibly different. Um, but what if, I mean, if you could take a system that had higher reliability and then, um, I, I mean, look at say a SQL system. If you're building HA SQL cluster, the SQL system that you're embedding isn't any different that the, they, the configuration is going to be much more complex but hopefully the the way you interact with that that sql server would be identical whether it was a simple configuration or a scaled up configuration yeah in that case it would be uh in the the case of a kubernetes i think most of the just the the core constructs are built or, or were designed in a certain manner for scale, as opposed to the, the, the SQL example, where for all intents and purposes, it's simply a, a mechanism that was built on top of it to facilitate the HA in some ways in terms of things like replication and log shipping and those aspects. This is actually an interesting aspect of how Kubernetes was designed versus SQL. The SQL interface was designed to obscure some of those implementation decisions. And I think Kubernetes, one of the criticisms it gets is that there are elements in the configuration system that actually um, expose configuration complexity or system system have to expose system complexity. But that's a benefit. It's a benefit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, if you're if you're doing affinity or anti-affinity, if you're doing sidecars, if you're doing you know a degree of hey, this is where my storage is built. You know, you're building a pod that has complexity rules built into it. You know, that has a degree of of uh, ex potentially exposed complexity. Yeah, and I think that's where the some of the challenge becomes when you start thinking about learning curves of adoption of the technology. In a sense, it's a lot of those core components I have to learn to some degree, shall I say, um, in order to, to really be able to start leveraging the platform as opposed to them being more, more in a sense of add-ons to what the, the, the interaction from the end user perspective is with the platform. Do you think that that type of, but that's graduated to me. It's so you, you step, you step towards it um, or you should step toward it. I mean, designing a good, a good system would mean that you don't have to understand the complexity of design until, and, until you need to understand the complexity. Yes. I mean, cause, right, cause I'm, I'm thinking through what are, what are, what are things that we should look for? Cause Ultimately, if we want to build real things, we're going to be building, we're, we're going to encounter complexity. This is sort of the, the logic that I've been going back to for people who are like, I want a simple system. It's like a simple system won't do anything. A complex system is necessary. Well, um, so, so that, becomes, that becomes the interesting question. Are complex systems needed in all situations? Yes, to do real work. 
this is this is actually a, a controversial hypothesis, but the the challenge with simple systems is that they uh, become fragile very quickly. If, they become they become fragile when my use case changes. Uh, sure. But if your use case is not changing, then I would suggest that it's not a real system. Uh, so if you're going to build something that's durable, I mean, I see this all the time in ops, right? Somebody writes a script because they're doing something really simple and the script starts off pretty simple and then it iterates very quickly into a mess because the goal was I just have to solve my problem really simply. And then it, it had to overcome more and more um, systemic complexity. And then at some point it becomes, you know, that the, the complexity becomes scary or unmaintainable. Um, and that, that's, that's just really where, where the talk, where we're talking about is what is that triggering point? How do you avoid it at the beginning? But, I'm, I'm distracting you from answering the, the question. Simple. Is simple actually a sustainable model? So I, I think simple is a sustainable model if we're not changing the, the use case drastically. Um, mm -hmm. An example would be from a, a, a real non-technical standpoint, I need to move this box from location A to location B. And if I get to a scenario where location A is always going to be the same and location B is always going to be the same, I'm oftentimes going to be able to develop a, a simple and hopefully efficient mechanism to be able to facilitate that. Um, the I think a lot of the complexity starts to come in when we, I don't want to say over-engineer it, but once you get to a place where we add additional functionality that may not necessarily be entirely beneficial, or add tremendous amount of additional value. And at its core, the initial use case could have stayed the same and we didn't have to modify anything. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think what you're, what you're hitting is a fundamental paradox to me about, about a complex system because over-engineering and adding complexity in is not good. Right, so solving problems that you don't have yet um, can be bad, but sometimes you know moving moving a box is not a um, uh, a unique problem space. Which, which I mean, a lot of the stuff we do is is not a unique problem space. But I think it's a good example. Mm -hmm. So, right, coming in and saying, "Oh, I want a dolly," you know, <laughs> bringing in a dolly or a conveyor belt or a um, you know a box moving robot. Um, you know, if, if all you just need to do is move the box once, rock on, just pick it up. Um, well, if you if and, you if you move the box only once, then you don't really need the system for that. Um, if you need to move a box multiple times or or periodically, that is where a system can come in. And if you're really good at moving that moving a box multiple times, then there might be interest to move not just one box, but more boxes and maybe not just between two locations, but multiple locations. And then it becomes a big logistical challenge. So um, that's, I think, where the, where the system comes in. And we all, our whole planet is set up for growth. This is what our economy is based off on growth. And once a system starts to grow and scale up and out, that's where a lot of complexity comes in. Well, I want to, um, to question whether you need the system to just move the box once. And I believe in a system that is otherwise complex, you do need the system to move the box once because the system needs to know where the box had been and where the box is now. And the system always needs to know where the box is. So you need it even if you move it just once.
And so for me, this is where it gets interesting because oftentimes where we get to a place from a, a system design standpoint is often with the additional use cases as well as the additional functionality to accomplish the task in terms of bringing in additional components, whether it's you look at a system like Kubernetes or OpenStack or what even vSphere has done or any number of systems. And especially from a, a vendor standpoint, even open source standpoint is the moment the quote unquote, the thousands of possible use cases come into play, that's where it, it then becomes a situation of, well, such and such has X use case. So oftentimes from an open source standpoint, there's a special interest group for this functionality or that functionality, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which ratchets up the overall system complexity, not to say that it's not needed, but in a situation where you might say for X use case, there could have been a system that was less complex that was specifically targeted for just that use case as opposed to the broad platform, which in some form or fashion makes it interfaceable for those thousands of use cases. Right, the exceptions always create more code than the uh, the happy path. <laughs> yeah, it's the everybody's a, a snowflake and, and everybody does things slightly differently, which is where you get into the whole standards conversation and a number of other permutations of this. Well, but I, I don't think it's even a matter of standards. I think standards become important for from an interface perspective. Um, but you know, one of the things that we end up doing is we end up doing the work. Everybody, no, you know, people don't share, um, you know, uh, run books, walk books, or box move books, whatever we want to call them here, um, in ways that are repeatable. I mean, that, that to me is is what we when we look at some of the complexity that we're creating, it's it's we're we're not collaborating on 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 the task. In a lot of ways, or we're building systems that are so generic that and people end up using them in very different ways, which then contributes to the complexity. Kubernetes isn't particularly opinionated. That's great. It's not particularly opinionated. That makes it complex. It's it's part of the dilemma. But so so how do we look at this environment and then reduce the the, the, I, I guess we came uh, to me. We come back to needed needful complexity in this. Complexity is going to come into the system regardless of what we do. How do we how do we separate out the needed complexity from the egregious added complexity? So I mean, I, I think some of it's going to be is. Are we designing in an altruistic technical fashion or are we designing in a real world scenario? Because from a, a real world <laughs> real standpoint, world has to be a real world scenario. <laughs> one of the things I've seen more and more and more over my career has been the you look at the the players that are involved in technical decisions. So oftentimes it's the the, the engineers or the doers, the architects, it's the the C level executives, and then oftentimes it's the the technical partners or the consulting partners, as well as the software vendors, all of them have a typically have a vested interest in some form or fashion of adapting complexity to solve a problem for various reasons. And so part of that's going to factor in at all costs um, and will mean that there's often going to be some additional complexity over and above what was actually necessary um, in the the, the more ideal world, let's say if everybody is really focused on solving the problem in the, the most simplistic way as way possible, um, I think there's still going to be some adoption of additional complexity because the software is typically developed with the additional use cases as a possibility. And so we're going to simply adopt some of that, that let's say it's a, a 10 or 15% overage in terms of what could have been done from a, a complex, complexity standpoint. Um, I think that's 
going to just always happen because it's the sort of the, the nature of the beast. I, I, the, the way I, I used to describe that, I still do describe it, I guess, as the 80-80 rule, where like 80% of what people do, the sealed 80-20, right? 80% of people are using the same stuff. And then the 20% is where the variation is. But that that 20% is different for each person. So you end up not with like, oh, it's like, you know, I did it this, I, you know, we're all using the same code, but then I added this extra thing. By the time you get done with the extra thing, everybody, there's, you know, half of the product is accounting for the extra thing. Is, is I guess where I, where I go with the 80-80 rule. It's not like your, your 20% cases are going to resolve themselves into 20% of the product. They're going to resolve themselves into half. Which yeah. is where complexity creeps in, right? Yep, because oftentimes what you're doing, let's say from a, a scalable standpoint, is you're creating constructs that are required in the platform to be able to facilitate scale. So whether it's things like policies instead of like direct attachment or direct definition or configuration for, let's say, a Kubernetes cluster, instead of being able to directly configure the Kubernetes cluster, the construct we want you to be able to do is define policies and attach policies to groups of clusters. And, and so now we're instantly in all these constructs and concepts where I just said, you know, I just want to be able to configure a single Kubernetes cluster. I don't want all of these, these constructs to have to understand. And oftentimes that's the way it materializes in the real world that I've seen. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, um, that's one of the, the big challenges with this is that God, and that, that's part of, to me, the people problem in complexity, where people look at things and get really scared because there's all this stuff that's been added in to handle people who understand the, the platform or the problem space that you don't understand yet. And there, th this is, right, this is, to me, the, the people side of the complexity question is, all right, I've got, you know, what you're describing as a whole bunch of stuff I need, I need the system to do. I'm a new person. I look at the platform or if I'm, if I'm on a, a different use case pattern, I look at the platform and I'm like, ah, oh, why did you add all this stuff I have to into the platform? And it appears very complex if I don't need them. It's a perceived complexity. Does that make sense? Yes, but I would push back on that and say that's, that's part of the challenge that organizations are facing with cloud journeys. So one of the things I, I typically talk through is the, the, seemingly thousands of things that a, an engineer has to learn. Organization, CTO, CIO says, we're moving all public cloud 18 months. Um, and so now oftentimes the engineers is learning Terraform, right, an infrastructure as code tool. They're learning configuration management, Ansible, Puppet, Chef, whatever it might be. They're learning the underlying cloud. They're probably learning a little bit of Kubernetes. And so for me, it's, I don't think it's a reasonable expectation that somebody, that everyone should be learning all of these things all in such a condensed time frame, um, And from a, just a security standpoint, I think that's, that's why we're going to keep seeing breach after breach after breach after breach due to misconfiguration because uh, there's just so much somebody has to learn. And so if I'm, I'm juggling all of that and then I now get to this platform where you tell me, okay, I, I need to learn it. And the constructs in and of themselves are probably fairly straightforward. If I dug through the docs and, and watched some of the YouTube videos, I could probably learn it in two or three days and feel comfortable with it. The challenge is I'm already overwhelmed and I may not actually have two or three days. Mm. Well, you certainly wouldn't. And the, the key mm. is you wouldn't have two or three days focused. And that's the issue is your time is being multitask and multitasking is less efficient and effective for learning than uh, being able to than focus learning and and i think that's where we've gotten as an industry is there are those that can do it well enough um from a, a, a functioning standpoint and and those that excel at it 
Um, but I think it's unreasonable to expect the vast majority of people to be able to do that. And certainly one of the things I've realized as I've gotten older and, and gotten married and, and had children is I, I'm, I'm not willing to commit 60, 70, 80 hours a week to, to, to delving into tech. Welcome to having a life. <laughs> but, but, Congratulations. But, does it have to? I mean, I guess this is where we keep saying, "Oh, I just wish it was simpler." Right? There's, there's all this, this, this complexity that you're describing having to learn. I agree with you. It's not unnecessary complexity. Though. Stuff that you have to learn so, to do a good job. Yeah. So here's an interesting question. Uh, one of the question is, can you be more efficient and effective at learning all these different uh, bits and pieces, moving parts, uh, different subsystems, if when you were younger, like say in college, uh, you were, uh, you had to go through a course in which you did this as an exercise of learning. For instance, the Aero Astro folks at the school I went to had this one course that spanned two or three semesters that, that they called, that was called by the professors as unified. And all the uh, undergrads called it unified uh, because it literally took virtually every single focal discipline that you needed to learn to do AeroAstro and made you utilize them over the course of these two, three semesters to build a large system. So one that included thermo and mechanical and chemical and physics and math and uh, electrical and uh, fluid dynamics, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm finding, finding very much so these days is an awful lot of those people who went through that exercise are now large cloud DevOps or architects for large clouds. So do we need in school something that teaches you how to be more effective at both learning uh, the, the new bits and pieces of the systems and stitching them together in a way, in an architecture way that helps make them at least understandable, if not less complex. I think that could definitely help. I think one of the things that I've seen is user experience for software um, enhancing. And so one of the, the things that for me is, so whether it's Kubernetes or CLI tools or um, even the, the industry sort of disparaging of quote unquote click ops, um, it is unreasonable in my opinion. One of the challenges with whether it's adapting clouds or adapting new functionality is I don't, I don't know what I don't know. And so to have a better guide experience, in my opinion, goes a very long way to where if I'm provisioning an S3 bucket, hey, you probably shouldn't turn on world readable access. Um, but, <laughs> but if I'm provisioning via Terraform and I downloaded some guy's Terraform module, and they have it public access and I deploy that, I'm none the wiser that it was a public bucket. So yeah. I think we have to move away from, as an industry, this idea that if you're not day in and day out dealing with YAML or at the CLI, there's, you're less of an engineer because ultimately the, the experience for me as a, a new user of a platform or a tool is oftentimes guided by that, that UI. I dig into the UI, I start to understand the constructs and the concepts and how they fit together, as opposed to jumping right to the CLI or in a YAML file. Right. I don't understand what half the options are. And honestly, I'm unwilling. I hit the CLI help 
And there's seemingly a thousand options or inputs that I could specify. That's not helpful to me. I'm not going to dig into your entire documentation or read the entire CLI help to understand what each of the options are. That's what the UI is for to provide me that guided experience to get me going. It is. I mean, that's that's the, the, one of the challenges we have with UIs is that they're showing you a ton more stuff. Like, and we've debated this actually in, in our UI design. Like, our UI has, you know, it, it runs at at not exactly expert mode, but it, it certainly has features in it that are for advanced users. And we we chose not to put a switch in there that is no distractions mode or, or beginner mode that would hide the things that you didn't need to know because doing that gets people acclimated to a more narrow of a view. And so it's an interesting question about how, how users are trained to look at a system. And, and, and I, I think this is, I guess, what Rocky, what you were saying, did having that class successfully acclimate people to dealing with complex systems Yeah, and uh, uh, I think the one of the reasons they call it unified is because even under the controlled situation of uh, a class, uh, there are just so many different options in so many ways. I think the the terminology would have been so many ways to screw yourself, <laughs> and learning how to look over your shoulder or, or where to, to lift the curtain or just how to start, I think, learning how to approach a problem knowing that there are gotchas underneath. And as to Martez's point about the CLI versus the UI, um, yeah, it, it would appear to me that these days we really do need a layered UI, which does have your basic functions and then at least one layer of expert, kind of like uh, the uh, my router has. It has basic and then it has, uh, uh, I don't know if you would call it expert or whatnot. Uh, and it's not clear that the UI is well uh divided between basic and expert, but having extra switches and extra information at the expert level so that you can actually do more of the customization and whatnot once you've stood up a system. So start, start getting a system in place, get the skeleton and then the, a UI that lets you flesh out the skeleton, which with more details and and more subtlety uh, goes a long way to making this making it learnable in smaller chunks instead of having to drink from the fire hose like Martez is saying and do every learn everything uh, immediately and just jump in. So, yeah, mm -hmm. low code, no code. If if folks actually start doing the layering might end up where we have to, might end up the best way to go. I, I don't know. That makes me super nervous to, to tell the truth. Well, you do the low code, no code for the beginners and for the but intermediates, but you right. still that's have a, that's to a have CLI. System. Right. So the, the other option you have, Rob, would be is more the guided experience. I'm going to give you the, the full UI but there are parts of the interaction with the system that as the, the vendor, I'm pushing you towards common patterns of how to interact with the system. So you look at something like an AWS or an Azure or a GCP, there's a thousand different bells and knobs and switches. But as a, a vendor, I can provide you with the path that most people take. It gives you a, a way to familiarize yourself with the system, most of the common features, functionalities, capabilities, but certainly you're free to, to jump around and, and dig into certain aspects that you want. 
to to interact with the the platform as a whole. That's one of the the challenges that I've seen with new users have um, is how do I how do I get started going? And oftentimes, what most UIs are are simply a composite of the different components. So let's say you look at something like an AWS where you got VPCs and internet gateways and um, routing and switching and all these components, but I want to do a thing. It's the outcome. I'm concerned about the outcome or the use case. And oftentimes the the five different things in the UI do contribute (laughs) to that, but I don't know exactly, exactly the first thing I should do as a user. And if I click around, I'm going to get a sense of all the things, but never really understand what path I should really take. And that's one of the things I've experienced as a consultant in a uh, mm-hmm. number of years before was oftentimes what customers are looking for is the recommended way to do that. And in the absence of the recommended way to do that, you're going to get the customer finding out whatever way they can do it, which oftentimes is different than what the vendor might like them to, to do. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, that's exactly uh, way back when in 94, 95, I was working uh, with a group that was trying to develop a firewall uh, product for uh, small to medium users. So essentially uh, a web commerce or whatever firewall for mom and pop shops. And we were doing everything. We were building UIs and we were putting the mostly operating system on CD so that you couldn't change it. And the uh, some of the toughest problems were, well, what is immutable? Rob understands this, that you can put on CD and what has to be in ROM. And then on the user interface, what do you want to be UI to make it all work for somebody standing it up and just like turning it on and being able to turn it on in a rapid fashion versus do we have to make a UI for every single little Unix function that was changeable? And we went down that rat hole multiple times of what we needed to do, make a UI for, and what we didn't need, what we didn't think we needed to touch. Mm-hmm. And that's even part of, you know, for people who are experts, Al, how do you uh, delineate what's absolutely necessary, what is necessary again for your intermediate user, and then what do you use? What do you hire the consultant to to do and then learn through experience once it's configured in a reasonable way. So it's a very hard problem. That's right. Yeah. And and even just a single firewall. I mean, we spent, I was there for a year and we were uh, trying to turn it up and, and we, like Rob, went through multiple iterations of the user interface for various bits and pieces because suddenly some part that we didn't think was going to be necessary to have in the UI became necessary or some other part. It's like you build a UI and then decide, no, we don't really need, we really don't want this. It just confuses the user more. And so we need to turn this off and not provide it or not provide it until they're further along. I had totally forgotten about that. (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, this is, is, it's a, this is a fascinating conversation because I I have a whole list of things and we're, we're on the people part, which is, which is not surprising in in a lot of ways. Um, Yep. Because here's the weird bias to me. Instead of looking at the systems and and the people thinking this is going to be, you know, this is complexity I one day need to learn. I mean, programming languages are like this all the time. Programming languages have a lot of inherent complexity and the programmers get get past it. They're like, okay, I'm going to copy this, this, you know, stanza in here because I know it's necessary, but I don't entirely understand why it's here. And then um, 
you know, I know I'll get to a point where I understand the rationale for those, the stanzas and as protections. Um, we don't do that with ops the same way. Um, well, so that's what, what, when you get to what's the business value conversation, that's where it becomes very interesting. Because uh, one would argue in most cases that the application is the, as, as close to the business value as technology gets. And from an ops perspective, oftentimes it's, I need to do just enough to, to keep the lights on. No, we, we typically shortcut in that, that perspective. And there's there's part of the problem, isn't it? Well, I think I think it's twofold. Mm, One could argue it's some thing. of the yeah, some right. of the problem. Another could argue vendors of software targeted towards operations individuals should be, I guess the word might be a little more empathetic to the plight. Of folks in operations, uh, and I mean, we're, we're even. So it's interesting when you look at things like uh, developer experience as a, a term, um, but don't necessarily see a parallel for, in terms of operation operations experience uh, or, or developer relations. Um, so it's interesting the, I think the level of empathy that the industry is placing on, on certain certain aspects of IT. That's an excellent uh, term, empathy. Yes. Is this just because we were we're not recognizing that the complexity is 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 necessary? It's weird to me because ops has always been a really complex environment, right? The the number one thing to me that disrupts operations environments and, and to us like creates noise in customer environments is somebody saying, you know, oh, the, the stuff you're doing, you know, is you're adding complexity I don't need. And then they try to do it themselves and they create something that doesn't actually account for the environment. Um, but I guess this is back to your idea of people looking at it and saying, oh, I don't want all that. I'm just going to ignore the complexity. Yeah, so it's always going to be through through different lenses. Um, one of the things I've seen as as DevOps has morphed into something that I believe it wasn't originally intended to be. Um, some people feel it's in some ways literally developers replacing operations folks, um, uh, <laughs> and, and sometimes you end up in those scenarios where a lot of the friction was developers saw saw things as one way and thought operations should do it this way. And they didn't necessarily have the purview of, of all the, whether it's the compliance the requirements or standard operations, best practices. And, and their, their viewpoint was, well, you just give me a box. I can stand up a box for an EC2 instance, and I can just do it, do my job exactly how it should be done. It doesn't make sense for you to take days and weeks to get me what I need. Uh, so it's often going to be the, the lens that someone's looking through something at. Um, but also in those cases, if you have a central IT, they're addressing multiple use cases for individual departments in the broader organization. And of course, at that point, they're looking for scale as opposed to just the sheer simplicity. They're looking at scale, but they're also looking at uh, security and safety, too which a lot of the folks that just say, I need a machine, don't understand. Yes, I, I think hmm. some of the challenges is over course correcting that we see a lot from the industry standpoint. Yeah, re remember when, uh, when, uh Okay. AWS was first available and suddenly all these IT departments were being uh, run around and worked around because uh, uh, it would take them weeks to stand up the machine or whatnot that somebody wanted. And so they just went out and laid down their credit card to get to AWS. And you think that if we were in the security world then that we are now, how many companies would have been destroyed by the holes that were punched into the 
through the firewalls and and through and exposing the IP that was being exposed and having it stolen. And in lots of ways, the naive us back then or the naive them back then was such that they were just damn lucky that there wasn't the awareness of uh, black hats uh, and that there weren't the number of black hats back then that there are now. Definitely knowledge. Knowledge of these systems is def has, has enabled a lot more vulnerabilities and, and then sharing of information about them. You don't need the level of expertise. Ah, it's such a weird thing because ideally you would streamline things and make them simpler and that would reduce the vulnerabilities. But if you do that, then you can't actually accommodate everybody's needs. Now we're back to having complex systems. But our desire to keep making them simple means that we're looking at those complex systems, we're ignoring a whole bunch of necessary components for it, and then we have things that are safe, sustainable, they don't scale, they're not um, resilient. Well, I think some of the, the challenges, I think we're going to have to, as an industry, get to a point where we start to really take a look at some of the, the fundamental things that are, are used as the effectively the, the plumbing. I mean, whether it's something like a, an IPv6, so even like the idea of now with service mesh providing uh, additional security for network communication. Um, a lot of what I had originally seen with IP6, IPv6 was built-in security, but mm, there aren't a, an overwhelming handful of, of organizations using IPv6 in lieu of IPv4. So I think there's things that we... The industry has done already to address problems. It's just adoption hasn't been as as intended, and we end up just simply building abstractions on top of abstraction abstractions because it's simpler to consume than fundamentally changing how we do things. These are profound thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I do think we believe that we're just going to simplify things into informants, but it, it hasn't been the trend line. Good market. And, and we're not going to, I don't think we're going to AI a complex system into performance either. Because there aren't enough patterns. Hard to, it's hard to train. Maybe we can. Well, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, IPv6 is is extremely complex, so people avoid it. It takes a lot to understand That's how fair. it works, and you actually do need some tools to to make uh, to be able to uh, figure out what it's actually doing. So. Uh, people avoid the complexity uh, because it's easier to be simple and understand it than to be more complex, not quite understand it, and theoretically be safer. Well, the funny part is, in some ways, we're simply sifting that complexity with things like um, overlays and uh, service mesh. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like... And, and at some point, I think you're right that IPv6 at some point, somebody's gonna understand it's less complex than a bunch of this other shit that we're going doing right now to avoid it. That is true. That's been true already. Um, but. But it's going to take that, that one uh, public use case of IPv6 to show that if you do it this way, you can throw out all this other stuff or reduce all this other stuff to something more handleable before people make the transition and put the effort in to learn IPv6 instead of learning all these other bits and pieces of abstraction. It also needs to be default behavior. That's right. I mean, the other, the other corollary in what we're discussing is that people are sort of lazy, not sort of. 
There's no yep. sort of about it. <laughs> and, and afraid so, of change. And so the, the systems have to have default behaviors that are that, that move in the right direction. Um, even if you then crack the onion and start learning that, okay, there's a lot of complexity behind the scenes. Um, it's the, you know, the safe default, safe default, and then um, is, is really important. It's, it's, I, I think we keep coming, this is, and then we need to wrap up because I, I have a two o'clock. Um, but um, complex systems are real and the people who have to navigate them are the most important component as, as always um, in making those complex systems comprehensible. They can't understand them and they're not safe for people to use. And so complexity is really a comprehension statement, not anything else. That's the takeaway. There you go. <laughs> complexity <laughs> is actually in the eye of the beholder. It's, it's not, even simple systems are complex. We just might not see them that way yet. Right. Familiarity breeds the appearance of simplicity. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's right. You're very trainable. All right, everybody. Uh, just as a reminder, no, we're not meeting next week. So there is no cloud twenty thirty on July fifth. Cool. And I'm or Thursday and, and Thursday, we're not we're not meeting this Thursday or next. Week. Oh, good. Then I I won't feel guilty missing it. <laughs> enjoy enjoy the holiday. I, I'm going to go back to the hearings. Good idea. Oh, gosh. I was watching some of that. That's crazy. Oh, Talk man. to you all soon. Yep. Take care. <laughs> Have a good holiday, everybody. Yep. Have a good holiday. Bye. What a great conversation. You know, it's really pragmatic when we sit down to think about how to design systems and what tools and platforms we use to start at the people and to think through what type of experiences people need to have to be good designers. Because fundamentally, all systems are complex. And if people are ready for that complexity, then they're going to build more sustainably complex systems rather than unsustainably complex systems, aka systems that break easily. Um, if this is interesting and important to you, please join us at the Cloud 2030. Uh, we talk on Tuesdays and Thursdays about DevOps and cloud and future topics. And those conversations are always better when we hear from you also. So please join us. Uh, and I will see you at the 2030.cloud. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.